You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, good morning. Uh, my name is Diana, and uh, I'd like to lead us into scripture reading today. As we read the word, um, if you're able, would you please stand? We're reading from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 9, then 15 to 20. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. (laughs) Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Verse 17 to 20. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and got baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Jesus, we want to welcome you to this moment. We want to welcome you into our hearts and mind as we study your word this morning. And it is my prayer that we would be ready and willing to hear from you this morning. Each of us comes with different stories uh, that we're attached to outside of these walls, different things we're struggling with, different things that we've been calling out to you about, whether it be um, things, our physical needs, our emotional needs, or our spiritual needs. And Jesus, I pray that you would meet us where we are this morning. Bring us comfort in your name. Amen. Yeah, my mic's working, yes? It's out there? Okay, great. Well, not like I need one, but, you know, I think it's helpful. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors at CA Church, specifically of our campus here at Town Center, and I'm very excited to be with you uh, this morning to, to give the word. Uh, it's been a joy over the last few months to have... Um, uh, well, some people call it kind of leveling the playing field and having different people come to, to host the service and to, to lead in scripture reading. I appreciate all those who are doing that. And I just, I love what it does to our to our moments on Sunday morning. I think it adds to the, the sacredness and the um, what it means to be the body of Christ. 
So I thank you for that. Uh, We've been walking through a series on the book of Acts. And last week we learned that we're lazy. So we call it the book of Acts or just Acts. We don't even want to say the book of because that's, I mean, that's, that's, how much time do we have? Hashtag Acts. We just want to do it as fast as we can. Um, And even the book of Acts is short for something much longer, the Acts of the Apostles, meaning the action of the Apostles. The book of Acts is all about action. Some of you will remember when we first started the book, and for those of you who've read the book before, it was written by an early follower, an early Greek follower of the way of Jesus, um, who first wrote the gospel according to Luke, which we call hashtag Luke. We don't say the gospel, just say Luke. But he also wrote Acts. And at the beginning of Acts, he said, hey, I've already written written about what Jesus began to do and say. The book of Acts is what Jesus continued to do and say, and he did it through the early believers, his apostles. And the book of Acts does not have a nice little bow tied on the end because you and I are now in Acts 29. You and I are now a part of the story that Jesus is continuing to tell through his church. And so I have a title slide here that that says finding what we like to often say is finding our way, but that's not what this sermon's about. This is about finding the way, because if we all came up with our own way, we'd have as many ways as as many people we have in here. But what we want to talk about is the way. And it was mentioned actually in this text about uh, Paul or Saul, I'm sorry, um, going after those who were followers of the way. So this is a story of one of the highlights of one of the one of the early apostles and how they acted out. But he didn't start that way. He was definitely acting out, but he was not acting in the way that God had called him and was going to call him. This is the story of what we call the conversion of Saul, a man named uh, after an ancient king. And if you know the history of Israel, not even a great king. In fact, one of the kings that went down in the history of being one of the worst kings of Israel, whose name after this incident is changed to Paul. Now, a lot of people don't know that the name Paul actually means small or humble. That's very interesting because he definitely did not start out that way. He did not start out soft or small and humble. And we'll see it, it was important enough not only for him to change his name to Paulus or Paul, but to change the entire trajectory of his life. Paul was born and raised uh, as a religious Jew. Later on, he calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew how to follow the law. He was the poster child. You know how we have posters for different things to represent what an athlete looks like? Uh, or uh, well, Now we have on the back of smoking packages to see what it looks like if you smoke a lot. Paul was what it looked like to be a perfect religious Jew. The community would look at him and go, oh, that's what a Pharisee look like. That's what it looks like to completely follow God in the best manner possible. The thing is, everyone would look to him for this, and he changes completely. He does a 180. He had respect. He had power. He had prestige. He was continuing to move uh, move up the hierarchy of, of power as a religious Jew, and he puts it all on a stop because of this interaction. Now, what does it take for a guy who was seen in his community to have it all together, to, to be the holiest person in the community? What does it take for a guy to like that to completely shatter his entire worldview? Well, one thing would be seeing face to face in all his glory, the very person that you proclaim is dead and a liar. 
Seeing that person face to face might change your mind just a little bit. And that's what we see here. In verse 2, it says he is going after people of the way. That should, that should mean something to us. It would have meant something to, to Luke's early followers, especially if they knew their Old Testament. Because the way was something that was often spoke about by the prophets, specifically of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, it says, A voice of one calling out. He's, he's talking about a future event. There, a voice is going to call out. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The, the gospel writers picked up on this. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 3, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one in the wilderness, speaking of John the Baptist, proclaiming, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 3. Voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. We're meant to prepare our hearts for this new roadway, this new highway, this new wide way that is being created by God. And it's not by mistake that then Jesus, in John chapter 14, verse 6, would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which way? Which way? The way. Spoken of by the prophets. Hit on many times in the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1 talks about the prophets speaking of Jesus coming. Uh, in Luke 24, Jesus uh, talks to two people and he points back and he says, everyone's been talking about this for the last thousand years, that there's a way that God is preparing. I have made that way possible. The church, you and I, if you are a Christ follower, are now on the way that was made possible by Jesus. And Saul, in this episode, has been fighting against that way, that way that God has been proclaiming for hundreds of years until he very quickly found himself walking on that way and in that way. In fact, leading the way on the way. We see that throughout the New Testament. He came to realize that he was fighting against something that he could not win against. That he was fighting, he was walking in the opposite direction of the path that God was going. And he better turn around. And what we see in Paul, I think, is a bit of a blueprint of what it looks like to have your whole worldview shattered and how your life ought to change if we are going to walk in the way that God has called us. And we know that Paul used himself as an example many times, and we'll see this later on, that he would list, like, I could do this, I used to be able to do this, I was a Hebrew of Hebrew, I was a Jew of Jews, I knew the law, I was perfect in every way, but that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. This is who I was, but this is who I am now. I am not that anymore. I am walking in the way. The way I once rejected, I now walk in that way. So what does it look like? Well, the first thing is this. To walk in the way means that we change direction. We change direction. Saul was headed to Damascus to do what? It says in verses 1 and 2, he was still breathing out murderous threats. The Greek there is quite powerful. He, he could not breathe without saying murderous threats against Christians, against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest. He asked for letters of authority so that he could go to, to synagogues in Damascus and arrest anyone in the vicinity that was saying that they were a follower of Jesus. They were a follower of the way. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And then what does he end up doing? 
Think of his mindset between these 20 verses. His mindset was murderous to go and arrest Christians. And in verse 20, when all of this has happened, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. That's quite a turnaround. We call that conversion. When it was one way and it's completely changed its manner and its look. That's a word we don't use a lot anymore. It's a, lot, it's a word that people don't like to use anymore. Making converts. But I'm sorry, there's no way around it. If we are called to invite people to the way, if we feel we've been called into the family of Jesus, we are a convert. That means we, we've given up our old self, all the things that used to identify us, and we have a whole new look to us. The way is for those who have been converted, changed. They have a new direction to walk in our, in our lives. Jesus or, or Saul was heading in one direction, and by verse 20, he's headed in a completely different direction. That's why being a Christian is not just signing up for classes. That comes. We get you to sign up for classes. Christian is, being a Christian is just not a whole new list of morality. It's not just going through catechism. Anything that says that that's what Christ, Christianity is, or just joining a new community um, and, and saying that this is now who you are, if it doesn't include conversion, repentance, the experience of forgiveness that overtakes you, then it's not conversion, and it's not walking in the way that God has called us. It's a completely giving up of our old direction and finding a new direction. Saul was doing everything according to religious law. He was, he was the head of the class. People looked at him, and they said, that's what I want to be like. But it wasn't enough for Saul. It wasn't enough. Jesus makes it very clear. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was talking to his disciples who had grown up understanding that they had to follow religious law. They were taught from a young age that they, not, they need to follow to the letter of the law if they want to be seen as holy and right in God's eyes. That rules properly fall. Have any of you grown up in a, in a religious tradition of this? That you have to follow religious rules in order to bring meaning to your life and be seen as part of the way. Saul was religious. He could follow the rules. No one was a better rule follower than Saul. But there's a, this amazing turnaround that he loved to describe in his letters. In, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 11. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. Uh, partway through verse 4, he says, If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As of zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. How many here can say, I'm faultless? Wow. Okay. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. That's conversion. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. The word in, in Greek is it's pretty dark. 
for the word he uses for garbage. It would be considered a swear today. That I, I consider it all garbage. I don't want it so that I can gain Christ, and I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of, of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. That is conversion. Take all that stuff, take all the recognition I could find, all the power I could wield, and give me Jesus instead. Is that where you are? That's what it means to say, I am a Christ follower. That's what it means to call ourselves Christian. It isn't now I dress differently and I got a whole new list of rules. It's I want nothing but Jesus. Look what, look what religion produced in Saul. And many of you know, I've known people, this was me for a while. Look what religion produces. It doesn't, it doesn't produce a new life. In Saul, it produced anger. It, it produced vengeance. It produced fear on a certain level. Why do you think Saul was going out and trying to put a stop to all this? He feared that everything that now I gave him identity was going to be stolen from him. So he went out of his way to protect it. That's what religion does. It draws very strong lines, and then it, it causes fear and anxiety in us as we try to protect that. And then he turned his whole focus on Jesus. That was Paul's message over and over in his letters. I'll give everything up. I will convert. Let this new life take me over. Do these, do the, does this story, does, do these scriptures ring true with us? This will be a good test to see if we have been converted, if we are living in on the path of the way that Jesus has created. Romans 6, 6, for we know that the old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self and its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of his creator. Here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. That is a community that was needed in the first century. It's a community that's needed today. Regardless of your background, you are welcome here. Get off whatever road you're on, whatever side road you're on, and get on the way. What's he saying? He's saying something has changed in us when we come to Jesus. We don't join a club. We don't sign up for a class. We are transformed. We were heading to Damascus in anger and fear, and now we are walking in the life and light of the kingdom of a new self in Christ Jesus. That's what the invitation of Christianity is. So we see conversion when we walk in the way that Jesus has created. The second thing we see, and we think, again, I see Paul, uh, Saul as a, as a blueprint. I'm going to go back and forth between Saul and Paul the whole time. Wait for two weeks, and then you'll find out why. <laughs> the other thing we see is a rational engagement. Often uh, critiques from the outside, and I would say often this is something we skip in our own faith, is that we are actually called to rational engagement with the facts of the gospel. Please don't skip that. 
Please don't skip that. In verses 3 to 6 of, of, of chapter 9, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He said, Who are you, Lord? He immediately gave authority to this voice. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What must it felt like for Saul to hear those words? I am Jesus. Wait, the one I've been persecuting all these people for saying your name? Yeah, I'm that Jesus. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Saul comes to some conclusions from this very physical experience. It was not a hallucination. He sees, he speaks, he listens, he responds. Luke records that those around him heard the sound but couldn't understand it. Later on, when, when Paul is retelling the story in Acts 22, we learn that his friends saw the light as well. They just didn't know what was going on. If this is a story about anything, it's about hitting Saul over the head with the facts of his resurrection. It's not, say, it's not Jesus showing up and going, Paul, can you just rethink it? Can you maybe try to just put, your, just put a blind faith? In me. There was nothing blind. Well, there is something blind about this, I guess, because he goes blind. But <laughs> he's not asking for this mindless jump and just, come on, Saul, won't you just go for it? Just put your trust in it. No, no, no. He's saying, I am alive. Take it in. It's so powerful, it's going to knock you off your horse. Saul, because I am the resurrected king, you are fighting an unwinnable battle if you do not change the way you're going. That is the declaration to the world. I have came, I lived, I destroyed sin and death, I am alive and well, I am coming again. Those are the facts you build your life on. It's not about how you feel today. It's about engaging with the facts of the gospel story. All the early leaders of the church, all the early apostles of the church had one thing in common, one statement in common. We have seen him. We saw him die. We saw him come back to life. That is what they declared. They did not go all over the, the known world and say, won't you just try it? it? You'll feel better. He loves you. Isn't that enough? No. They said, these are the facts. This took place on the map. This took place on the calendar. You can mark it on the calendar. It took place. We witnessed it. We saw it. John says in 1 John, we handled him. We spoke to him. We heard his voice. Luke is writing decades later, only decades later. He names people. He names places. He names events because they happened. There were plenty of people who could have tried to refute him. He didn't write 100 years later when everyone had passed away. Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15, and many of you are familiar with it. He says this in verse 3. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Not that Jesus makes us feel better. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is first importance. And that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters all at the same time, most of whom are still living. He wrote this while people could have checked the facts. Then he appeared to James, then all of the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. And he's talking specifically about being knocked off his horse by the resurrected Christ. The Christian faith is first and foremost an engagement and a response to truth and to facts. And here's why it's important. You say, Brad, we've heard this before. This is why it's important. 
If my life, if our lives are not built on an engagement and a struggle with, with these truths, we will always try to, to change our lives by just using the same old rotten materials we use for everything else. We'll use some simple self-helps. We'll try a new morality. We'll try a new ideology. Whatever kind of the wind blows our way. We'll, we'll, we'll say uh, again and again, okay, well, I'll just try harder. I'll try to, to master my anger. I'll try to master my fear. And we do it with the same building materials over and over and over again. Our own, our own self-will and our own strength. If I discover that my, my house is on a faulty foundation and it's crooked and I, and I notice that the, I go into the wall and I see the two-by-fours are being chewed up by termites and I go, i got to rebuild. And I knock it all down and then I just start taking out the same two-by-fours on the same crooked ground and rebuild it again, I'm going to have the same broken down house. That is not what we're being called to do as Christians. When, when, when our faith, when our rebuilding of our lives in, in any area begins with the rational engagement with the truth of God who took on flesh, who lived and died and rose again and is returning again as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. When that rules over our decisions in life, that changes the way we build our lives. It changes the way we live out our reality. It'll change the way when I say, I gotta, I've got to change the way I live out my marriage. I've got to change the way I engage with people at work. When that starts taking place within the, the, the frame of the facts of the gospel, that'll change the way we build our lives. When we remember, as we will in communion, that Christ lived and died and rose again, and he's coming back one day, that changes the way I engage with people. That changes the way I live my life and invest my life. Something happened. A decision based on the facts for Saul. Jesus had spoken to him. The resurrected Jesus showed up. Then all the stories he had heard, the, the movement which had been growing in Jerusalem, the movement which he was going to try to snuff out in Damascus, this unstoppable way, it all began to make sense to him now. Oh, he really did come back from the dead. That changes everything. That changes the road I'm on. I need to change the road I'm on. I need to turn around and follow in this way because nothing is going to stop this way. Always bet on the guy who came back from the dead. Don't bet. Hear this. Don't bet on rules. Don't bet on I can remake my life. Don't bet on I can, I can invest um, my, my heart and mind into this pursuit and that will bring me identity. No, no, no. Invest in the guy who came, lived, died, said he would come back to life and did it. Invest your life there. Our struggle to live godly lives is a response to a rational struggle with the facts. It, if it is simply built on how holy we feel today, we will be drained very, very quickly. And I'm going to say all of us have tried it. <laughs> I just see everyone going. All of us who have been Christians for more than five days have tried to build our identity on how well we can live it out. Don't do it. Bank it all on the man who came back from the dead and will return one day. And I know you and I would be tempted to say, yeah, but Saul saw Jesus, Brad, he got knocked off his horse. Who's not going to believe that when Jesus shows up? The voice of Jesus actually spoke to him. But I want to say this, and, and I'm quoting someone much, much smarter than myself, which I could just throw a dart and that would happen. But anyway, 
He said this. He said, Saul's evidence was not overwhelming, and our evidence is not underwhelming. Saul's evidence was not overwhelming, and our evidence, in other words, Saul still, still could have said no. He could have. We said, no, that would never happen. Have you ever read the Old Testament? <laughs> have you ever read the, the history of the Jewish people who saw miracle after miracle after miracle? What do you want to do today? Why don't we make a fake idol and worship it? No, no, no. Don't remember what just happened? Evidence is not the issue. There can be a lot of evidence. Plenty of those who were around Jesus, and I've brought this up several times, who saw his miracles, who saw him resurrected, stood as he was ascending and still doubted, Matthew wrote. Still doubted. Who struggled. Christianity begins with a new knowledge and, and struggling with that logically and then a step forward into a new reality. Jesus tells a, a, a parable, uh, and this, it, this gives a great example. Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 20, what is it? Luke chapter uh, 16, actually. He tells a parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Hold off on that. Are they going to read it and not listen? Go back. He tells the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus, not Jesus' friend. This is a story, uh, a character in a story, who, who lived a life of poverty, had a horrible life. And then there was a rich man who's not even named. But he lived not worrying about God and just kind of living his life. And when they died, Lazarus went to the side of Abraham, which is another way of kind of talking about heaven. And the rich man went to Hades, and he was suffering. And he looked up at the man at Abraham's side, and he said, Oh, man, I need, to, I need someone to go back and warn my family that if they don't live a life following God, they could end up here. He says, can you go and send someone? Can you send Lazarus to my family? Verse 27, he answered, then I beg you, Father, speaking of Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead, talk about the foreshadowing, someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. He said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Lack of belief is not about a lack of evidence. It's a heart issue. It's not a knowledge issue. Listen, we don't need any more, <laughs> we, we see this all the time. We don't need any more evidence in our society that pursuing money does not bring happiness, but people still pursue it. We don't need any more proof in our society that, that pursuing fame and pursuing power does not bring happiness, but people still pursue it. Even though we have all the evidence to say it doesn't work. It's not a knowledge issue, it's a heart issue. That's why Christianity is never a question of, is it true for you? Is it true for you? It's just a question of, is it true? And if it's true, build your life on it. I was watching an interview recently of uh, a man interviewing a person, and he kept saying, well, let's just, what is truth? Let's talk about truth. I just want truth in this. And the, the individual that he was interviewing Kept getting, you saw him getting more and more uncomfortable. He said, you keep invoking that word, that word truth. I find it condescending. He said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, your truth might not be my truth. 
He said, well, what, what do you mean when you say truth? He goes, I just mean the, the truth. And he was just met with these kind of confused eyes as if that had no meaning to him. Christianity is not interested in offering another truth that may be helpful to you, and it might not, that you can just set aside. Christianity is not interested in offering you a truth, but the truth, fundamental to your very being, based on true events, bringing new life, and brought about by a resurrected Jesus. Bank your life on that guy. The last thing is this. This is what happens when we find ourselves on the way. And this is quite fascinating. It's always fascinated me. But we actually are given spiritual sight. We see things differently. And some of you will remember this when you came to, to Jesus. You see things differently. You, things you've looked at a million times, you've struggled with cognitively. You look at them and you go, how did I ever see it that way? It's so different than I thought. It's rational, yes, but it goes beyond that. In verse 18, it says, Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, and he was baptized. Now, I don't know the entire reason that, that Saul was struck with blindness. There's stories in the Old Testament of enemies of God being struck with blindness until they're healed by someone else. And I don't know if you were Ananias and God called you. We skipped that, that part of the chapter. But God said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to heal this guy. Oh, do you mean that guy that came here with the sword and wanted to throw us all in prison? Yeah, and Ananias, your name's probably at the top of the list. But if you could just go there and you could pray for him, that would be fantastic. <laughs> so I don't know the entire reason that, that Saul was struck with blindness. And that these scales kind of fell from his eye. But I, I believe that at least on some level, it was meant to represent the blindness that Saul had been living in. That as these dropped from his eyes, it represented the fact that he was now a part of the way. And he was about to see things differently. It's a concrete test, I'll tell you, of whether or not you're a Christian. Do you have spiritual sight? Do you see beyond situations to see what's going on behind them? Do you live with a spiritual lens? Everyone who has become a, a Christian has also said, I, I didn't get that before, but now I see it. I once was blind, but now I see. I've been a fool. How did I not see that? Spiritual sight means that, that things that once, see, once seemed abstract or maybe you didn't even have an opinion on, uh, spiritually they become very real. And many of you know what I mean. Proverbs 16.25 said, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And now we say, yeah, that makes sense. That's true. Romans 7.18, for I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Paul's saying, uh, my heart orients me to something better that I want to live for. My, my spiritual insight, my sight says, I, I desire this. I want to live this kind of life in, re in reaction to the resurrection resurrected Christ. I have a longing I didn't have before. I see it differently. I have spiritual sight. We read Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And we're like, yes, I get that now. I see that now. It's why you and I, when other people make horrible decisions, I think I'm going to get into another really bad relationship. I think I'm going to invest all my time and money towards this. I think I'm going to spend nine hours a day playing a, a game on my phone. I think I'm just going to look at, I'm just going to spend the afternoon just looking at social media. There's a reason we look at that and we go, that doesn't sound good. It's because you have spiritual 
insight. It's why you as a Christian will look at decisions made by those without faith, whether they be friends, whether they be political leaders, celebrities, people with new ideologies. And we think, we think, how can they think that way? How can they think that those decisions are going to lead to life? It's why you can be in a, in a conversation with, with family members and, and see decisions they are making with, with their bodies, decisions they're making with their relationships. We, we see what's going on with ideology in the world today, and we think, how do you think in 10 years this is going to be good for our children? Spiritual blindness. You have been given spiritual sight. You've been made to see. The scales have dropped from your eyes. That is an an acid test of whether or not you have been converted, whether or not you've you've struggled with, with the truth of the gospel. How do you see things? Are we, just, are we walking along the way that the world's walking, or have we turned in the direction and started seeing things with, with, with great brightness and, and, and being able to, to recognize darkness in so many things that we used to just take for granted? So here's the, question, the questions I have for us this morning. Because if walking on the way means conversion, walking a new path paved by Jesus, which is leading us, we're not calling the shots. How has that looked in your life? Has it just looked like some of you have checked out, yeah, I'm going to be a Christian now? Or has it caused you to repent and turn and say, Jesus, I give it all up. It's all garbage. As If I can walk on your path, walk in your way, next to you, and in you, and relationship with you, that's what I want. Is that what your life declares? If walking on the way means belief in the facts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, believing the words of the apostles, are you walking the way? Have you struggled with those truths? I'll tell you what. If we base our faith, our Christianity, on anything else, we'll have a very, very wide faith, but it can be very paper thin. Struggle with the claims. Walk through um, the, the, what people have said, the uh, apologetics, read the text about what the apostles were declaring. That he came, he lived, he died, and because he rose from the dead, we know he's coming again. It's worth basing your life on. If walking in the way means spiritual eyesight, where we, we look with a different lens than the world, where, where the struggles of the world, the fears, the, the, the important pursuits of the world, world prepare, uh, appear rightly worthless to us and, and finite. And when we hear people say, hey, you know what, I'm just going to follow my heart on this, we go, ooh, I know where following the heart goes. There's a better way we can walk. Are you being stirred by the kingdom to have, to have a sight for the lost? To, to have the heart of Saul who went to destroy and then ended up proclaiming the gospel. The, 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 the irony of the situation of Saul going to Damascus because he wants to shut out everyone else and protect the, the Jewish faith. And he ends up going there and saying, hey, you're all welcome here. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful path to walk. But these are important questions I want us to, to walk away with this morning. 
for many, and I, I get in conversations with people after a time of knowing them through, through the church and in the Christian community, and often I'll come to the point where I go, I don't think this person's actually said yes to Jesus. I think they like our community, and that's good because we're awesome. But everyone in this community has a potential to let you down, <laughs> especially the guy standing up in front of you right now. We meet here because we've got no better story for you than Jesus. There's no better path for you than Jesus. There's no greater historical fact that history has shown us has changed the trajectory of, the, of human history than Jesus. There's no better end point than Jesus. And so it's our hope that this, the truth of the gospel would bubble up in us as we say yes to him and say goodbye to the world, that the truth of that would bubble up in us and it would give us a worldview, it would give us spiritual insight into how we live our lives in response to his love and his, his sacrifice for us. I'm going to pray and then we're going to go into a time of communion. God of grace, thank you so much for this beautiful story. A story that does not get old, a story that the more we explore it, the more we unpack in our lives, the deeper and deeper it goes into our hearts and our minds. And so we want to be upfront with you this, this morning, Jesus. If there are areas in our life where we've said, you, you, can, you can have everything else, but you can't be Lord of that, I pray through your Holy Spirit you would point that out to us. You would, you would pry our fingers open. You have something so much better in store for us. You have such a better story than we can write for ourselves. We, it is so easy for us to be influenced, so easy for us to hear the loud cries of our culture calling us to not worry about it, calling for us to just kind of let anything go, to not worry about what, just to follow wherever your heart leads. And we know, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that does not lead to life. And so I thank you, Jesus, that you lived a perfect life so that we can find our identity in you. Thank you for the beautiful exchange that it, when we come to you and we, print, we repent, when we convert to following your way, your righteousness is given to us. It's not about our effort. It's not about what we can pull off. It's not about how religious or, or how Christian we feel that day. It's all about what you pulled off for us in your life, death, and resurrection. We base our life on your life. Breathe into us this new life. This morning we pray in your name. Amen. It's a good song. I love that song. It never gets old. Guys, these are important questions, even as we take communion right now. When we, when we take communion, we're declaring our story. We're, we're declaring the drama that I have changed my life, and this is the story I'm banking my life on. When we take communion, we are declaring, I base my life on the historical facts of the gospel. Why? Because the very fact that we take communion is because we believe Jesus, who walked among us, declared to his disciples, hey, every time you gather as brothers and sisters, every time you gather as the body of Christ, I want you to take bread. And when you take that bread, I want, you, I want it to represent my body. And when you eat it in the way that it sustains you, as bread sustains us, I want the, the facts of the, my death to sustain you. The fact that through my death, you have been given a path 
to God Almighty. Sorry, sorry. And when we take the cup, we remember that it is a, historic, a historical fact that Jesus took a cup. And he said, whenever you eat this meal together and when you finish and you drink this cup together, I want you to remember that my blood was spilt for you for the forgiveness of sins. And when we eat communion together, we're also reminded that we have a new spiritual vision we have a, a new apocalyptic vision. We see things beyond what's right in front of us. We remember that the resurrection ripped the lid off of the cosmos and declared our story is much bigger than what's right in front of us. The worst thing that happens to us will not be the last thing that happens to us. He is coming again. And I, as we eat this, I know some of you are walking through some really dark stuff right now. When we eat this, we declare, the worst thing I'm walking through will not be the last thing I walk through. Because he said, when you eat this, eat it until I come. Declare my death until I come. The most <laughs> spectacular verse in Scripture. Proclaim my death until I come. That makes no sense. That's what the gospel does. It flips things on its head. I pray that as we take this communion together, we would... Reflect on how the beautiful story that we've been placed in. And if you are, are here this morning, you're not a Christian, this is brand new to you, um, I would say that, that you, you should probably skip communion this morning because these would just be empty snacks to you. But for those of you who are Christ followers, something sacred happens in this moment. Something sacramental happens in this moment. They're not only symbols. They are connecting us with the beautiful truth of the gospel. May the truth of this, what these represent, the story that they represent, may they sustain you this week, this month, sustain you in marriage, sustain you in your relationships, sustain you as you try to do spiritual battle with the world that's going to come at you before you even make it home today. May this sustain you and encourage you and spur you on to run the race until we see him again face to face and eat this meal with him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to invite the band to come up. When I'm done praying, I'm going to ask that when you're ready, you can come up and I'll ask the servers to come up as well. Um, we have a few people who will be uh, holding the communion up here for you. We do, right? <laughs> I can tell you who's on my list. It would be the Lauders <laughs> and it would be the Kukulias. Can you guys help with, with communion this morning? Thank you very much, you guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> They're always ready to serve. Um, so I would, uh, uh, I would ask that once I'm done praying, when you're ready to take communion, you can make your way up, and you can take the bread, and you can take the cup, and then you can make your way back up the side stairs and take a seat. And when we all have our, our bread and cup together, we will eat and we will drink together. In case you were here last time, I'm being very clear. <laughs> this time we will eat and drink together. Uh, if you're concerned about coming forward and sharing uh, uh, along with the rest of the community, we have some, uh, some mobile ones up there that are pre-packaged. If you're more comfortable with that, you can grab from there as well. Let me pray and then we'll take communion together. God of grace, uh, what a beautiful story. <laughs> and some of us come here and, uh, and we've been trying We've been, we've been running the, the treadmill of self-promotion. We've been running the treadmill of trying to gain uh, recognition and, and power and, and justice. 
trying to gain love, maybe even trying to uh, spiritually try to wave our arms to get your attention. And we thank you that as we take communion, we're reminded that you did all the work for us. That Jesus, you took on flesh, you walked among us. You spoke words of life. You gave your life, and then you burst out of the grave three days later. There is no greater story we can build our lives on. And so maybe for some of us, before we even come up to take communion, we need a a time of repentance. We need to leave some things here. We need to ask your forgiveness. And we need to give you full reign over our lives. Thank you for the way that you created for us, Jesus. May we walk in it with faithfulness and with our eyes transfixed by your grace, transfixed by who you are and what you've done. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.